0: Just before we get into it, I need to remind you that the Football Index podcast is supported by footballindextrader.co.uk, the best site for in-depth scouting and trading strategy. It's challenging times for traders right now and FITs, detailed analysis and strategy guides are helping hundreds of traders plan for success in the weeks and months ahead. And he's busy highlighting the value that has opened up in the choppy market. As an exclusive offer for podcast listeners, you can give the site a try with 25% discount on your first month with code FIG25. Welcome back to the Football Index Podcast, episode 135. I mean, before I introduce my guests, just want to let you guys know my website is now live, footballindexguide.com. Get that in your browser, check it out. For those of you who already have checked it out and give me some amazing positive feedback, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate all your support. Today's show, we've got one returning guest and one debutant. The returning guest is Carl Brown, who was, much the subject of conversation in our previous episode with FI Scotland the Nature Boy. How are you doing, mate?
1: Yeah, very good, thanks. Yeah, Great to be appearing once again. Had a few mentions, honestly, so, from some people and some of the answers. So great to be on and share some thoughts.
0: Why don't you let us know a little bit about your Football Index journey? I mean, a lot has changed since you last appeared, right?
1: Yeah, I'd like to think I've improved as a trader <laughs> since last coming on. I've certainly narrowed down my portfolio since coming on. I started sort of in the second year when I was at university, so I'm going to be finishing university at the end of this month. I started August 2018, so just after the World Cup hype, and stuck in 40 quid at the time, played around with it, made a couple of quid, flipping one or two players I thought had transfer rumours, really just enjoyed the product, got like addicted as soon as I got involved with the PB side of things with... League matches going on, and then just grew from there, stuck in some more deposits. And yeah, loved every minute of it, loved the community, and it's still been a laugh. And what gambling should be about, really, just enjoying football and enhancing the football experience.
0: Awesome. You've also been creating some content, haven't you, as well, on the side of your actual trading?
1: Yes. I've just tried to put out some content that just helps traders understand a bit more of the data, what's going on. So obviously, there's some great third party providers with stats and different data things going on, but I just thought of try and sort of transfer that knowledge to people that perhaps haven't got the time to just dig down into this data and go into some worlds where I've probably spent too much time than I really should have.
0: <laughs> awesome. We'll get into a lot more of that stuff in a bit and, and the data side of things, but I've also got here, Jordan. How are you doing, mate?
2: I'm good, thanks. All good. How
0: are you? Not too bad. You've got a pretty interesting background. How have you been faring on Football Index since you started?
2: Yeah, so I joined just before the share split last year. i seeing seen about it on Twitter from a mate. So I asked him about it and he, he started going on about the share split and prices rising and getting in quickly. And it all went way over my head. So I thought I'd just sit back, watch it go on for a couple of weeks. Jumped in after that with a few hundred quid. And then every week just kept depositing. And then the bonuses started coming about. So I started maxing them out. Saw the growth potential probably just before the div increase. So I put about 90% of my deposits in around September, and I've just grown it from there, really. Awesome. I mean, on the
0: footballing side of things, so you've got a pretty interesting background. Yeah, as well. yeah so
2: team. away from FI, I graduated in sports performance and development. So I've been involved in coaching since I was 15, 16. Did my level one and two, and a couple more qualifications, like futsal and things like that. And then had the opportunity to coach in the JPL, which is a junior Premier League.
0: But for some reason, I thought it was like the
2: Japanese Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the level between local sides and professional academies which was quite good, which led me to do my FA level three and then got an assistant coaching job at Chelsea in the youth development program. But then I had to eventually leave because obviously it was up there after a while for work elsewhere. But yeah, so I've been involved around coaching and all that for quite a while.
0: Awesome. I mean, that's going to make for some pretty interesting content later on in the show, I'm sure, because there's going to be quite a few questions about that. But we do have quite a few miscellaneous questions before we get into that kind of more in-depth analysis, whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch with the numbers. Louis M., what do you all make of the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix, The Last Dance? I think Panda was jealous that he didn't get this one.
1: Unfortunately, I haven't had time to watch it. So as I was saying in my introduction, just coming into finishing uni now, I'm pretty you know tied down with all the stuff going on, just having so many written pieces of coursework and adapting to that sort of life that watching Netflix, unfortunately, has been put behind Doing university work and football index. So, yeah, unfortunately, I passed that one on.
2: I'm the opposite there. I think it's quality. I'm on reduced work hours, obviously, because of everything that's going on. So, I'll be binging Netflix quite a lot. I think it's absolutely quality because you get to see all like the behind closed doors stuff, showing the training and all the personalities of the players, which is you don't really see when you're watching games and stuff. Yeah, so it's cool to see it from that point of view. It's amazing. Yeah, one thing. When Michael Jordan he was filming for Space Jam, which obviously is a sick film, he had his own court set up at the Warner Brothers Studios. He started inviting like all the professional players over for pickup games and stuff. It's like basically if Messi was filming a film and he just got like Ronaldo, and Neymar, and all that over for five side games and stuff, that'd be mental.
0: <laughs> Would replicate some of those, you know, the Nike adverts back in the day with Figo, Ronaldo, Thierry. Those were quality. Got a question here from Fi Show Pony. Bit of a fun meme-related question this week to the pair of you. How much do you think Prime Ronaldinho would be worth on the index, and how suited do you think he would be to the PB Matrix in its current format? Also, do you think he'll ever pay me for those Paraguayan passports?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll start with the passports thing, but I think that's mad, isn't it? Like, just what's been coming out of the media and stuff. When I first saw it, I wasn't even sure if it was true because obviously there was some sort of things coming out saying there was tournaments, wasn't there, being held in the prison? Yeah, that he was on the winning side, scoring no ends of goals in the final. And I was, oh, I don't know if that's true. Like, surely they can't get that out of the prison media, can they? But in terms of football <laughs> index, he's well up there, isn't he? Like, he's an iconic player within football. I would say he is quite well suited to PB in the way that, you know, he was clearly on the ball quite heavily. You know, he could dance around a player in the way that, you know, Neymar, Messi are doing nowadays. The only thing I think possibly would have limited his price in terms of media is just the fact, you know, Did he really ever have that English connection? But then you look at Neymar hasn't, and it's a single name, just the one name, Ronaldinho. Perhaps he would have picked up a lot of media. You've got to argue, would he be parallel in price to someone like Neymar with that sort of ability, that sort of club, but played at both, over in the French League and Barcelona. And so that's what I would say at the top, but maybe not, maybe not King.
0: I'm just looking at his career stats and they're actually quite underrated. I mean, La Liga, he scored, 70 goals in 145 appearances he also made 50 assists and I don't know if this is right but in Serie A he got 32 goals and 24 assists in 88 games oh no 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 that is then the Brazilian championship sorry in the Italian Serie A he got 20 goals and 26 assists in 76 games so that's not far off either Yeah, I mean, it's impressive
1: pretty good I mean he played in a very good team didn't he I suppose at the one time they had all the David Beckham, Kaká and Ronaldinho yeah. in one team didn't they there's that picture of him standing in the free game <laughs> yeah.
0: The free kick, yeah. That's another thing, right? Ronaldinho would have been on, on all set pieces as well. Free kicks,
1: penalties. I don't know if he was on penalties. Was it him or was it Eto? I'm not sure, but I mean, that one goal against Chelsea with a toe punt, I mean, that media appeal would have been That's there for media. days. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's media for days. I mean, leading on for that, FI Mac, which icon or legend player do you think would currently be the most expensive and why?
2: Uh, expensive? Well, I don't know if you would call Beckham a legend or an icon, but that media... And the old crosses influence, I think a lot of people would be onto him with that. But Brazilian Ronaldo, I
1: think he's like that striker who would be finishing for days, wouldn't he? Think about this, though. I would have said, like, perhaps it's someone that is now playing. And I'm thinking, perhaps if Lionel Messi, obviously, if the Football Index was around years ago, how much would you be paying for an 18 year old, 19 year old Messi? And, you know, and how much would he be worth after that 91, 92 goal season? I don't think there'd be many more players that would top that price with the media he would have got that year. Just the, I think mean, he'd be in PB every every other week, if not four weeks out of five with that.
2: Yeah, 100%. He even got his hat trick at that young age, didn't he, against Madrid. Really started off, you know, as he's literally gone on for 10 years.
1: I've
0: noted down three players here. I've got CR7, the 42 goal season. He was in his prime then. He was like, what, 23, 24? He was just unstoppable that season, scoring for fun. Scored in basically all their big games as well. Also got Rooney. I think when he was 16-17 going over to United, I think that would have been big. Also I think Thierry Henry would have been quite a big one considering how many goals and assists he got. But also he was quite a big media appeal, especially when Arsenal were a powerhouse.
1: Yeah. I mean, you even had when he did that deliberate handball against, was it Northern Ireland? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. Brett went on for a little while. So, yeah, certainly the goals. Maybe
0: a prime, prime Gerard or Lampard as well?
1: There was a debate, I think, before on Twitter about who would have been higher peak price. And it was between Gerard, Lampard and Scholes. You've got to think of, you know, the goals contribution Lampard had was, you know, outstanding for a midfield player.
0: Yeah, I, I think he would have been a demon, wouldn't he? From midfield scoring that many goals. Anyway, we've focused on this question a little bit too. Honestly. <laughs> got lost in the love of football there. Carl Brown, can you confirm or deny that you're attempting a 40-yard Rabona on your profile pitch.
1: <laughs> so I can confirm that I am not doing a 40-yard Rabona. Just looks like a bloody crossfield pass for me from yeah, right You to like right centre-half. I mean, I can confirm it was a set piece, but that was uh, back when I was playing for a village at the time in this profile picture. I played more as a Fullback, back maybe a centre midfielder sometimes, more for just my life, my fitness, and you can tell sometimes what Sunday league standards are like, or it's on a Saturday, but uh, since playing... Decent
0: pitch though, yeah, yeah. I mean... Than the pitches I played on. Yeah, girl. yeah,
1: lucky to have a decent pitch down and in my village. Yeah, and now, because I play at centre-half, yeah, no longer on the set pieces, yeah, unfortunately my performance buzz on Football Index wouldn't be so good anymore.
2: <laughs> What's your style of play as a centre-half?
1: To be honest, to rely on physical attributes... Everything other than strength, I would say, though. I think if anyone was there, <laughs> anyone was to meet me in person, you wouldn't be too worried about me bodying you, but I think I'd get away with just some couple pace of elbows. and just... I don't know if I did share my 5K time on Twitter, but yeah. 13 minutes, I heard. <laughs> just under 19, so not quite the Ross Whoa. Barkley. BL. Blitz. Not quite the Ross Barkley that he posted on.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> what was his, like 16 minutes? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. That is so mad. Jordan, he's got a question here for you as well, Chris. Have you ever been mistaken for the lead singer of the Pigeon
2: Detectives? <laughs> I have actually once. I've had so many comparisons just because of my hair. I don't even look like any of them. Like I've been called Rory McElroy, even Campo, <laughs> Alan McElroy? Davies, Jon Snow, Ramsey Bolton, Lee Meade. The list goes on.
0: <laughs> Ramsey Bolton. Yeah.
2: Some of them I'll take, you know, like Harry Styles. Yeah, yeah, you'll
0: take those. You'll take those all day. Maybe even John Snow. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, I'll take that, yeah. EFC Index, three footballers you're taking out on a night out with you.
1: All right. So the first two came to my head quite quickly. And I'm going for someone that was mentioned on the podcast maybe last week or the week before was Jamie Vardy with the cocktails. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> going on a night out with him would be nuts. The second one, I'm saying Peter Crouch. I think it would be a laugh. Great guy, great podcast, all this stuff. I think it would just be a laugh. You know, you'd see him out of any of your mates winning in the crowd on a night out. Third one, I'm going for a footballer that doesn't play anymore. Maradona. Surely he'd be a oh, nut. Oh, God. <laughs> Surely he'd be nuts.
0: Do you know who else would be absolutely? it? Is that Ray Parler?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The
1: video's going around hit him at the minute. He's basically half alcohol, isn't
2: he? <laughs> <laughs> Myself, I've gone for Ollie Watkins, because he normally comes into a cocktail bar I work at occasionally. He's a good guy, and I'll just persuade him to try and join Villa all night. Joey Barton for the backup, you know, when it all kicks off. I'm sure he'd like to get stuck in. And Grealish, because he'll probably end up face down on a pavement in Tenerife, but... <laughs> still drive us was, was driver's home gonna after an after party, well. wasn't he? And still owe me them sweet media divs the next day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, this man. I was gonna say greenish as well, actually. He looks a little bit minast, doesn't he? we we'll move on to our next question. Lewis Turner, question for Jordan Kenny, and this was I think and someone else actually referenced your hair. Oh my what god. What hair products do you use to get your barnet so curly?
2: Well, it's a mane and tail horse shampoo, which gives me the lustrous coat. Makes my hair shine like a Ryan's belt. And then I'll brush it a hundred times with a brush that's actually handmade in Italy. And it's carved out of a legal whalebone. Perfectly balanced, <laughs> low drag, minimal torque.
0: What film is that from?
2: <laughs> Blades of Glory.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. I've only ever watched that film, I think, once. Oh, it's brilliant. It's just Will Ferrell in his prime, isn't it? It's outrageous stuff. Before we move on, this podcast is sponsored by Index Gain. If you guys want to check them out, you can use the code FIG2020 for five quid off your first month. Or if you go for the six-month semi-annual plan, you get one month free and another five quid off. It's an awesome platform, but I think, Jordan, you're an avid user, so why don't you do the ad for me?
1: Go on, Statman, Carl. Well, in terms of the data and going into the data side of Index Gain, I think mean, it's absolutely fantastic. Obviously, you've got the new release for Media Buzz Analysis, which is great for what's going on at the minute, keeping up with the media scores. But also, if you want to you know, prepare for the future fixtures, you know, the remaining fixtures of the leagues that hopefully go ahead and even the season following you know you can get you know a head start on some of the data that's already being produced from this season season before that yeah it's a great tool to have certainly worth the membership in my opinion and also to be a part of the Slack community you know it's very very lively on there yeah and I know you're quite active on there aren't you Jordan?
2: see a lot of people say oh I don't know if I have a port big enough or I don't know if I'll use it as much even like the basic PB scores peak scores that unless you're on the website and you try and search through the scores like that, but this, this is so much easier to just get that data and it's like the biggest help for anyone really whether your port's tiny or large
1: totally agree
2: yeah and like you said you get the old trader meetups and stuff which you know about Fig don't you?
0: yes they are great fun check them out I have uh, had a few too many beers at probably every trader meet I've been to the last three or four we've got a question here from FI Headhunter matching engine discuss opening the floor lads who wants to go first?
2: Personally, myself, I think it's obviously a great step forward, specifically the not introducing sell orders straight away, just making sure when you sell, if it's not called instant sell anymore, that you know, you'll know you always get a price and less, obviously, as those certain examples. But it's definitely a step forward and obviously it's going to increase liquidity and a lot more trading going on. And obviously everyone complaining about spread sizes and everything is going to fix that problem.
1: I would back that up, really. And I mean, from You know, the question from Headhunter there, I think, you know, if you haven't seen his tweet, sort of summing it up and sort of the outrage, not the outrage, but the comments made on the matching engine, to say that you could possibly buy a £5 note for £4 and pay an 8p sort of charge for doing so, I think summed it up quite well, really. I mean, it's great to see that the platform is heading towards a direction of the actual traders. You're more likely to be considered a trader than you are a gambler which I think falls quite nicely into the like USP of Blindex saying, you know, it's the football stock market, you know, you consider yourself a trader and not a gambler. That's where I think they could really push that market into quite heavily. And so when someone that is familiar with trading looks at the platform, they're going to see it as, you know, it seems quite professionally run with a few improvements that still need to be made. But I believe that you know, with all these different stocks and shares you can buy on other platforms using an order book system. I think it only makes sense that having a football stock market has this in place. And, you know, you can capitalize on some mismatching of prices going on for the benefit of yourself if you are a trader, you know, that's ahead of the game.
0: I totally agree. I also think one of the things that's just being swept under the rug is that Football Index are doing this in collaboration with Fucking Nasdaq. It's not like the blokes down the road. Do you know what I mean? These are real deal. The Nasdaq Stock Exchange. This is the big boy. It's the
2: bloody big boys, isn't it? It's the
0: bloody big boys. <laughs> you know, it's not. You know, it doesn't get bigger than that. So I think a lot of people, I think they've just kind of forgotten about that slightly. This is such a big deal, but it's also being done with the best of the best.
2: It shows how much of a benefit it will be for traders who aren't potentially on the platform yet. So it's given their reputation a massive boost. You know, from the occasional moaning you get. It just provides a bit of stability to people who are wanting to join in, really.
1: I agree with that as well. So I think this will sort of follow on to our next question. But I do want to say that with the introduction of order books now and with people trying to get a grasp of how they work and how they operate, etc., I do think it's a good time to learn, to take the time to learn these order books. You know, If it means you don't trade at all for a couple of days just to make sure that you can get your head around it because... It is a great step forward, but also I think for traders that are going to be joining the platform in the future when these order books are already in place, they're not going to have this memory of this sort of stage. So it's only for us involved that we need to adapt. And if the future learners or the future joiners of the platform you know, are not going to have this stage.
0: It's a really good point. Yeah,
2: yeah, very true.
1: I think one of the other things that I've been thinking about,
0: and I mentioned this on the podcast Extra, which is out now, you should definitely listen. What I think I'm going to do at the start is probably only put orders on players that I already own. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I already have positions in them and I've already valued them adequately for me. So I will feel much more confident putting orders on those players than I will on other players in the market, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I suppose this brings out the importance of PB Man tweeted yesterday saying this is why intrinsic value is so important because you're able to value a player to what's your opinion is, you know, how successful you think that player will be. And you can bid accordingly to that value. You know, whether you think someone's overpriced, you know, you're looking to sell that player on, whether you think that player's underpriced, you know, you pick that player up. You know, that's the aim of a market, whether you're trading football players or you're trading stocks and shares.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, some people might think, Oh, that means I can try and get Neymar or Sancho a pound less or whatever. But unless you've got your own strategy and you stick into it, I don't think it's really going to cause much problems because basically I'm not going to now go off and try and find someone at a discount that isn't already in my strategy. So like you said about players you already own, you can try and get them, you know, at the price you might have bought previously or someone who I'm about to buy anyway, who I find value. A lot of people f- thinking, yeah, I might be able to get some people at value. They need to stick to their strategy and, you know, and if you don't have one, I think it get a bit messy.
1: Yeah, I agree. I also think it's, you know, it's gonna benefit those medium to long term yeah, traders, exactly, yeah. That are really looking for that value. I'm really looking forward to seeing how it's done. I'm not really someone to flip a player on a match day anyway when they score a goal or two, but I'm gonna be really interested to see, you know, are people still gonna be doing that and how often it's gonna be happening, who's gonna be the best at it almost, because you know, it's gonna take a decent trader to be able to flip a player within two, three minutes in an order book system.
0: Have you guys got any concerns about this off the bat? I mean there's been A lot of people voicing their concerns, their questions on Twitter. Anything off the bat that strikes you guys?
2: No, not really. I mean, I know a few people have complained about the 2% on orders. But again, you know, like we've covered, it's you're buying at probably a greater percentage less than that anyway. So I don't really see their point on that. You're not going to buy someone if you don't think they're going to increase in price over that percentage anyway. So it kind of comes irrelevant. And obviously, without the instant sell, they've got to still be making some money haven't
1: they yeah Mm. i mean i'm the same really i'm quite happy with how it's been done i heard of some people message me saying you know if instant sale is set by us essentially putting in our own buy orders then will someone accept that buy order if they're putting you know a player's price in one pound below his current price you know why will anyone ever accept that sell offer my answer to this like question would be you know we've seen spreads of 20, 30, 40%, particularly you know, looking at these 20, 30, 40p players, people have been instant selling those guys at massive spreads. So I'm thinking if people are instant selling at those spreads, then surely people are going to be willing to sell a player on. It might seem quite a lot in terms of absolute value, but in terms of percentage, you know, if you're selling someone for 2%, 3%, 4% less than his current buy price, but you wanted to do that because you want the cash quickly, that's going to happen and you can do
2: that. I was wondering if people would still say you had a £7 player and his spread was 10%. I still think quite a lot of people would instant sell that price for 10% less. But if someone now places in an order for 10% less, I wonder if they'd be more hesitant to sell him for that? Well,
0: I was literally saying this yesterday, right? You know, the tightest I've ever seen spreads are just over 3%. But before COVID, we were seeing 5%, Five percent. I was looking at players in my portfolio. Five percent. I was like, well, "That's decent. I'll take that." Do you know what I mean? But like seven, eight, nine became pretty regular. Fifteen, maybe slightly irregular, but not too
1: crazy. Yeah, I think it appears massive when you look at sort of the more expensive players, because obviously one percent is far greater amount of money in absolute terms than it is if you're looking at the fifty p players. You know, if you're five p off of a fifty p player is ten percent. You know, whereas to ten percent to Sancho. You know, you're looking at like one power 30.
0: Yeah, for sure. The other thing is, it's so hard to say and speculate a lot of this before we actually see it in action. But I do presume, Jordan, you know, that psychological side of things. Cause with instant selling, you're like, oh
2: yeah,
0: I'm selling back to FI, but this
2: time you might be like, Oh, am I gonna sell and give that guy a good deal? It might be in a queue for ages, and you think, Oh, I'll take him out and I'm just gonna instant sell him because I've been waiting for ages and waste of time. But and then if you see a buy order at that price, you might think, well, hang on a minute, if someone wants to buy them at this price, I think I might wait off and get a bit greedy. So it might create this kind of standoff sort of thing where people are just pushing out for the maximum price they can get.
1: Yeah, I suppose that might even create, you know, some, because people say, well, won't the market be like increasingly like volatile? Then will prices move up and down quite a lot? But then if you have that, that second thought process, then perhaps prices won't, you know, change as much as we thought or much as, you know, you originally think. So it will just sort of be a case, I think, of wait and see what happens and how the market deals with it. Because, I mean, there are only a handful of traders out there on Twitter. You know, there are far more traders out there that perhaps don't even have social media and enjoy the platform just as much as us.
0: For sure.
2: Yeah, it would be interesting to see. I've seen it suggested a couple of times, you know, instead of just whacking the orders in, putting on Twitter, will someone match my 270 or whatever before and then seeing if it goes through like that instead of just putting up a list at 260 or something.
0: Mm. I don't know how that would work, but there's certainly a lot of things that people can do and I'm sure we'll get a lot more opinions on Twitter in that way. Is like, what do you think a realistic order I could get X player on? Do you know what I mean? Got a question here from Spoon Fi. <laughs> the development of order books is likely to favour traders who know what they're doing and can take advantage of those who don't. Do you think this could be off-putting daunting for newcomers to the platform? I mean, I'll open this up in a second, gents, but just off the bat, I mean, if this produces tighter spreads, then even if those larger, more experienced traders, whatever you want to call them, can profit more from this new system, then smaller traders, less inexperienced ones can still, you know, save money by that instant sell spread being a lot. Yeah, time. absolutely.
2: I, was, I saw on Facebook just before doing this, someone said, put up a picture of his port and said, this is my port, but if I sell my players, I'm losing money. And then someone was explaining market sell. But then you have the same players saying, oh, I hope they, you know, order books doesn't mess everything up and become too complicated. So I think it's, it's more of a scare factor. It might scare the average user, but they're trying to implement it as slowly and safely as possible. So I think in the, in the long run, they will obviously come round to it like many users, but it's definitely, you know, all positive.
1: Yeah, that's what I was trying to say before a little bit in a way that, you know, if you're unsure at all, just don't trade for a day or two. Just get your head around it. Take the time to learn how it operates. Because, you know, there are advantages to using this system. And with the comment there of daunting for newcomers in the platform, they're not going to have experienced this change, what I was saying before. So to come onto a platform that is advertised as the football stock market and with a stock market already having order books in place in traditional stocks, then, you know, this isn't something that's completely alien to someone that is a decent trader or familiar with the trading platforms.
2: Yeah, I'm wondering on the audience front, obviously, certain people who are on Football Index might think the stock market is not for me, I'm on Football Index because I know football and I know who's going to perform well. So it's depending on what audience FI needs to grow. Yeah, I agree. Route, But obviously the more sustainable route we would say is trader-like, bigger investors, but obviously you want to incorporate that in the every weekend trader.
1: Yeah, I mean, people always speak about football index making a dent into traditional bookies for example but the first thing i think like a new user should be doing into the platform regardless of order books or not is just to read the rules and to understand you know the different elements of football index and with order books being a part of the platform this will just be an addition to those rules it will just be another little segment that a new user that has come from perhaps you know bet365 or skybet Uh, It'll just be another little rule or element that they'll learn and they'll grasp. And, you know, perhaps some people that have come from the traditional bookies will really enjoy that you can pick up a player slightly cheaper than what they're being priced at by the market.
0: FBI Trader, similar question, kind of following on from what we just spoke about. But FBI Trader was a great standing for Panda on the FitCast Extra last week. So definitely check that out. Do you both think there may be a chance that FI gets a bit too complex to attract the fun gambler in horse racing? saw this when recreational punters favored traditional simple bookies with gimmicky offers over better fare. What do you think FI can do to retain and attract
1: them? In my opinion, I think keeping it quite simplistic will keep people entertained. It's quite easy for, you know, newcomers to enter the platform, you know, and allow this growth that FI are looking for. But obviously you want to have a difference between, you know, traditional bookies and football index. But I do believe the way that They've got media buzz, performance buzz, and you can obviously earn dividends through in-play dividends. I think there are enough aspects there to keep people entertained, to keep people engaged with what's going on. Because, I mean, you could spend hours and hours looking through different winners for different dividends, you know, for media dividends every day, for performance buzz winners on every match day. There's enough there to keep people engaged. It would be interesting to see if Football Index went, we're going to bring out this new dividends. I think that's more of a shock than what this whole order book system is.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think on the point of thinking what they can do to retain and attract them, I think as long as you're essentially playing the game correctly, the majority of people are currently winning their bets. So I don't think anyone's going to want to end up leaving if they're in profit just because this has been implemented. And it's kind of finding that balance between being too specific and in depth compared to people who just wanna pick out a player to see if he does well on P B without having the analysis part of it or anything like that. They're in a nice niche between the bookies and the stock side of it.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, it's really gonna determine the use of the Blindex, considering whether you're a trader or whether you're just a gambler. Yeah. I think
0: I don't know. It's so hard to say. I think Football Index have done a really good job of trying to attract people from all different walks of life. You know, people from FPL, FM fans, gamblers, traders, but above and beyond, it all depends on what you view success as for Football Index and what they view success as. Do they view success as getting to 3 million users and a billion pound market cap? Or is it far greater than that? Do they view success as becoming the biggest gambling company in the UK? It's all very different. The other thing I have to add, I think, to FBA traders' question. Gambling is in the kind of culture of the UK and sports. Football Index is new and novel. And like anything new and novel, it takes time for these things to creep in, to kind of like become mainstays of people's lives, whether they're in the financial world or like fashion, whatever it may be. It takes time. And I think that Football Index is quite an abstract concept. And for that to be normalized, I think their brand equity has to increase. They have to become kind of normalized by the world, if that makes sense.
1: It's been mentioned on before, hasn't it, by one or two guests from the podcast. There might have been trawlers for ballers on that episode where they were saying marketing needs to increase in Manchester, let alone for like foreign countries and expanding their product into those lengths.
0: Yeah, I think there's a, a host of opportunity in the UK, a lot. And before they even think about starting a new territory, and I think we've always said, you know, an opening in the likes of Germany or Spain would probably benefit UK users more than Germany or Spain presuming that it's uh, a pooled market, of course, because traders would have more confidence in a company that is expanding internationally. But we can talk about that later, perhaps. Uh, FI, FPL Addict is a question. What influence will order books have on your trading as it's rolled out? Have you been able to apply your strategies as well with no football on? So let's answer that first one.
2: I'm more of a, a medium to long term trader anyway. So instead of on the big div earners and things, I find it a lot more beneficial to try and find those ones who are just on the outskirts who will end up breaking into that sort of section. So for me, order books, if I'm trying to pick them up cheaper before they come mainstream, I imagine they're not going to change in price much. I might be able to get, you know, shape off a few percent. But personally, I don't think it's going to have too much of an impact on my strategy, to be honest.
1: I'm the same in the way that I don't think my strategy will change in the way that I'm always looking to buy players that carry intrinsic value. They carry worth on football index. So. It might change my strategy in the way that by having order books, if there is a player that does get an injury or has a dip in price for some unknown reason that doesn't change his value or like his future dividends wins, then perhaps, you know, you can pick up this player that's been dumped for a few pence or, you know, a certain percentage cheaper than what the market is currently valuing at. So I think it might be a good sort of way to capitalize on some dips with seeing that sort of liquidity in the market. But in terms of just strategy, playing for media, playing for performance, buzz dividends, I don't think the intrinsic value of players hasn't changed at all from order books coming in.
2: Yeah, I mean, if I'm looking at a player and I'm thinking he's value at this price, I mean, he's even going to be more value at 10% less. And it might open my eyes to other players who I think, well, they might be value in the short term if I can get him at this percentage less. But other than that, yeah, I'm with you on that one
1: applying sort of my strategy now with they saying no football being on at all. I've just sort of trying to be preparing for the games coming ahead. So with the leagues returning or even next season returning, it's either this weekend or is it the previous weekend that football would have finished if it was to carry on throughout its usual fixtures. So I mean at this period in time people would have been looking at either next season or obviously would have had the Euros this year. But I think people are always looking for the next thing that's going to happen. So when there's no football on, it's always what's going to be the next match on or the next competition or the next talking point of football. So whether that applies to media or to performance buzz. We've
0: got a question here from FI Gardner. If the Bundesliga plan to finish season goes to shit and more leagues decide to postpone or cancel their seasons, would this be a concern for FI? Do you think this could be an opportunity to roll out the order book or push forward any plans for the media review? news on IPOs so I think this was asked probably before the announcement so we've already got a bit of information on you know the order book first phase and obviously IPOs they said they wouldn't be in this kind of fashion but in another facet or form they'd come out on FI. What are your thoughts on this if Bundesliga fails to finish?
2: You guys have been on longer than me so has there been any periods of time with prolonged no football? I mean I was on it last summer which It seemed to be all right, but I mean, before that, how did you guys fare when there was lack of football?
1: The longest break you have without there being football is the summer transfer window. So obviously, people are trying to play for that media, the media transfers, or the future performance dividend players entering new teams or with teams slightly changing. But like I said before, about you know football leagues would have been finishing essentially this week, you know, until you look into August. So there's going to be that period there. Without any football on. And, you know, last season we saw where there wasn't any football between that period of time. It seemed to do perfectly fine. You know, I think a lot of people saw growth because of the way that football's hyped up on return. And we've seen that quite a lot, obviously, with Bundesliga. Everyone's hyped to see the Dortmund Schalke game that's going to be on BT Sport the weekend.
0: Everyone is hyped. We've seen the positivity in the market since the Bundesliga has returned. If it didn't or it failed to and it had to be postponed or something happened, then obviously there'd probably be a blip in the market. But I do think that these clubs and the leagues are doing their utmost to kind of ensure that players are as safe as possible. So it's hard to speculate on how likely that is to happen because obviously coronavirus is so new and not everyone understands how it works. But on the other side of things, do you think FI are using this opportunity, the the kind of quote-unquote downtime, well?
2: You'd like to think so, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, I do think, you know, they've started to do this order book process in a different phase. Perhaps we start to see how they're going to involve IPOs into this, you know, as their phases going forward. But obviously their plans to do the media review was to happen over summer anyway, wasn't it? So it's coming up to that period where they're going to be reviewing that anyway. So I think if they can just sort of accelerate that sort of phase, if... Football was to stop for a period of time. Then maybe if they can just push things a few weeks forward. But I don't think we'd see anything dramatically. I don't think there'd be any reason for them to be like, "Oh, with no football, we'll increase transfer dividends or something like that."
2: Yeah, there's definitely enough for them to currently work on to keep us ticking over the summer. Whether it's bringing out order books or with that media review, and I think obviously the growing number of traders compared to last summer, it's going to generate more trading this summer anyway. So I doubt it will be as stagnant say, as last summer, but even though that wasn't, because there's more users to buy and sell. And then obviously with order books coming through, I don't think there would be much of a problem.
0: I do agree, yeah. I'm of the opinion that we usually have three months without football over the summer if we had to go six months, say, which is kind of what I anticipated when everything kind of went to shit in late Feb, early March. I was thinking August, so I mentally preferred myself for six months, but I wouldn't think it's the end of the world. We might see, or probably would see a dip, but I wouldn't really be concerned about the long-term health of the product.
1: Some people are already saying that, you know, although Euros has cancelled this summer, you know, think of how mad football's going to be next year when we've got Euros and we've got a World Cup that's going to be six months after that, isn't it, with it being played in the winter and stuff. People are saying, you know, there are downsides, you know, in the short term, quite clearly, but. You look into next year, football index is gonna have huge opportunities to capitalise on the number of games, you know, traders are gonna have games coming out of their ears. Yeah, I think that will be exciting to see how many players perform over, you know, a period of football that's gonna be constant for, you know, almost two years.
0: Well, before we move on, need to plug the Athletic. They're a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage. They've got amazing football reporters such as David Ornstein, James Pierce, Sam Lee, and Rafa Honigstein. They have done some awesome stuff detailing the ins and outs of the Bundesliga since that is the first league that's come out and it's only £2.49 a month if you go for the annual subscription, go to the link theathletic.co.uk slash fig so you get basically 50% off your annual subscription which is a pretty awesome deal for what I would consider the best sports article writing network around. What have you guys been buying for more than £2.49 recently?
2: I bought a three hundred and sixty gram bar of Galaxy. <laughs> Just plain. Just plain. I used it for cooking, yeah.
1: For me, I haven't personally bought anything for the last well, I don't know what it must be like two months now, haven't we, since we've been locked down. Obviously having my work to do. But I think when lockdown obviously gets reduced and pubs start, you know, coming open, the first thing I will be going to is, you know, to buy a pint, which obviously certainly costs more than two forty nine.
0: <laughs> Almost anywhere in the UK, yeah. Yeah,
1: even Wetherspoons, you know, you get some pints there. But yeah, extremely good deal and something I'm going to be making use of with my time after university in between hopefully picking up a job. So that is something I'm going to fill my days with reading some articles, and hopefully keeping up with the transfer news or whatever, however that plays out.
0: We've got a question here from FPL Chef. It says, elite tier guests, how much are you looking forward to seeing my tactics board and what are, in your opinion, the most overlooked stats for FI? Carl, is that
1: reference towards you? Possibly with a tactics board. I think you know that I've been trying to push you out to get this football manager (laughs) (laughs) series going because I do think that would be something that as a football index community, that's going to be something where I do think we'll we'll enjoy because of the way the tactics can change from person to person. And it will be interesting to see how you put your spin on that.
0: It's coming. Uh, I was told Chef got his webcam delivered today and we've already had some branding done. So
1: we're not too far. I do think that'll be decent. Looking at Overlook stats, personally, one. That I do think is massively overlooked. I just think it isn't picked up too much by people looking at the stats. You know, people look at shots, look at passes, look at goals, look at assists. But the one that I think is most overlooked is like ball recoveries, especially when you relate them to the PB matrix. You know, you pick up three points per every ball recovery one. And I was just looking earlier at the data that I've got for PB winners and the average number of crosses, which is obviously a huge debate on the index per PB winner is at 3.8 crosses per game. But the average number of ball recoveries for the PB winner is 5.8. So you're looking at an extra six points accumulated for ball recoveries than they are crosses. And so even if you was to combine the attempted crosses with accurate crosses, you're looking at 1.1 accurate crosses per game. So there's still more points won for ball recoveries on average than there is crosses for the PB winners throughout this season. So that's something I do think is massively overlooked. So perhaps people be looking at those sort of things. And I mean, they're sort of most common when you've got teams that are pressing quite high that cause you know, defenders to lump the ball forward. And you might see a lot of you know, centre-halves just dropping back to pick up the ball and gaining ball recoveries in that manner. Wow.
2: So have you looked at that in comparison with any other stats that you find higher scores? You know what I'm trying to say?
1: I do know what you're trying to say. So something like clearances is obviously a lot more common than like block shots, for example. And there are obviously some players that are more suited to making clearances or more suited to making tackles, for example. But I do think some people look quite heavily at like long balls. And long balls, for example, only equate to two points for every long ball you do. And at most, people are putting in 10 to 15 long balls. So like there's not a huge amount of points actually racked up by those stats. And I think it's quite misleading for people, you know, pumping on the timeline to be saying this guy's really good at this stat. But actually that stat's not even relevant too much to how well people score on, you know, the PB matrix. Okay. Yeah. But in terms of finding another stat like that that I was trying to find, there aren't so much the standout the ball recoveries, for example. But perhaps, you know, shots on target, even those are a little undervalued because to get five points for a shot on target. As well as stacking up with the points for a shot, you know, you're know, you looking at eight points for every shot on target with the possibility of a goal or a corner one, for example. So looking at you know the number of shots players have in a game could be extremely valuable in a way that maybe that way you could refine your performance buzz players looking at those categories, perhaps.
0: This is going to sound really weird, but I think one of the most underlooked stats is just wins. <laughs> <laughs> I think people really, I think, Carl, you've done a lot of good work on this, but people really underestimate how hard it is to win PB if you don't win crazy in
1: that game yeah Jordan do you know how many people win roughly PB if they're playing in a losing or drawing team so if they haven't won the match do you know what the percentage is
2: I imagine it's got to be around 10% or something
1: yeah 9% of players and that's including you know single match days so like there's more chance for a player to win on a single match day if they haven't won as long as you know they've dominated the match but yeah I do agree with you there Fig that wins you know to win a match carries incredible bonuses because quite often winning a match you'll assume that you know they've been the better side they've had more of the ball and all those things add up together you know average together to provide much higher PB scores and that's perhaps why you see Man City players have very high PB averages as well as Liverpool Barcelona PSG and perhaps why you've got players you know Norwich with very very poor PB averages but it's only really relevant for that one game a week so whether they're playing a top team or a bottom team, your PB average is only relevant for the team you're sort of playing against, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I understand, yeah. So obviously it's going to be skewed by Norwich's PB average is going to be very low against the top teams, but it could be quite decent against the bottom teams.
2: I'd like to know that 10% figure in, Would those 10% of winners in a losing team, is there majority because of goals or do you have any of those stats?
1: I could look into it, yeah. So it is something I'm going to look into over the summer more into depth with that. But I know one that comes to mind is at the start of the season. Do you remember when Man City drew to Tottenham 2-2? Yeah. yeah. But Kevin De Bruyne picked up a golden match day win there drawing 2-2. He didn't even score that day, did he? But he put in so many opportunities for strikers to score. And Man City were so dominant because they were so ruthless in wanting this result that they had so much to ball. So many players were able to pick up these stats that equated to high PV scores. That's why Kevin De Bruyne was able to win on a gold match day without having the winning bonus but it's largely due to just if they've not won the match it's probably because they've been so dominant in trying to win the match that they've scored so well.
2: That's what I've got down I don't necessarily look at the cold hard stat but I like to look at heat maps and more of the individual games so I like to see who's had you know the majority of the touches on the ball even on average getting a lot of different actions in whether it's on the ball or off the ball who's more of a predominant force and obviously most of them Seem to win, you know, with Cruz and Kevin De Bruyne and all that stuff. So if I try and find that early on, like a a player, I knew, for for example, Grealish from watching him at Villa, I knew he was on the ball plenty of times. I never thought he would win PB and things like this because how shit Villa were. But you kind of pick it up early when you start to see who's that driving force in the team. And sometimes stats can't show you that because, you know, it might be a lot of actions off the ball and stuff.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's a great way to consider whether a player transfers to a different team or whether you've got a player coming into a, a new team. Looking at how the touches of other players around them are going to be affected because people like Savanya, when he changed team last summer, people like this is going to be amazing. He's in a slightly better team. He's going to be a PV animal. And obviously, he didn't even get played that often. So that obviously really hit his price quite heavily. But talking of Jack Grealish Aston Villa, he might get a lot of touches at Villa at the moment. But if he moves to a side such as the talk of Man United. How many touches of the ball is he going to get? Is the play going to go through him? Is it going to be diverted through Bruno Fernandez? So you know there's loads of different things to consider of who's going to be on the ball more often, and I think there must be a huge like correlation between having more touches and having a better PV score.
2: yeah, yeah,
0: that course. dominance factor is really important it's something I look at quite a lot. I think the guys at who got the assist do a talisman theory article every season, and it's basically looking at how dominant players are for each Premier League team and how that can influence their kind of decision-making when choosing who they have in their FPL team. But move on to this question from Bobby Axelrod. What was your opinion on ASPs and Luar Luar's Matrix Reloaded piece? Assuming you've both read it all. Of course you have, question mark. (laughs) Putting timescales aside completely, do you think there's need to tweak the current Matrix for whatever reason?
1: My opinion of this is that obviously the PB Matrix isn't perfect and it isn't a perfect representation of football. And I don't think anyone does dispute that. But with the point of saying, does the Matrix need a tweak? I do think at the moment in time, there are bigger issues at hand. So this media review going on this summer, I think has far more importance to Football Index as a product than it does for the Football Index. So I think if you was to watch a game and to suggest who the man of the match was, I do think a lot of the time people would get the similar sort of names on who they thought was man of the match. I do think that would equate more often than not with the winners to football index on who is winning PB. And I think if they was to see who was winning PB and then look at the stats and look at how they were involved, I do think that it is quite a good representation of how players do perform on the pitch. You obviously get some anomalies. And I know there was an outrage when, is it Candreva for Inter Milan won PB? He did nothing except from cross the ball. But I do think when you look at the number of people that do that as an anomaly, you know, it's very, very small. And I do think in the most part, Football Index do do a very good job with their PB Matrix.
2: Yeah, I think it's not more of a choosing different actions or so. I think it's more the weighting of the points scored that could probably have minor changes. Because once you get past that grey area, or once you go into that grey area of Influential play that can't be recorded as a statistic, you know, off the ball movement, pressures from a defender, things that might not necessarily score much, but can influence the game massively. Pulling defenders away off the ball, just simple things like that can get into a kind of dangerous territory. So you want to keep it appealing to the masses, kind of, you know, keep ASP and them lot happy enough to continue trading, if you know what I mean.
1: I do agree with the off the ball stuff, but a lot of the stuff that happens off the ball is rather subjective. I think if you look at, obviously, different managers have different tactics. And the reason they have different tactics is because they weight different elements of the game differently to other managers.
0: And they also have to counteract other managers as well. Yeah, they do.
1: Yeah. For example, I think sort of if you were to look at Pep's system, Pep Guardiola's system, you know, he may just think that we're going to play this system and we're going to be so good at it that no one else can touch us. But some managers may believe that we're going to do exactly the same, but with a different formation and a different player of focus, and so on. So I think some things off the ball, for example, are just very subjective. You know, Some players, or some people will value pressing off the ball very highly, and some people will just think it's needless running.
0: Yeah, I think you've really nailed it there, Carl. Above all, I think the PB Matrix isn't perfect, as you mentioned. I just also don't think it's on top of FI's priorities. I think we debated it or talked about it with ASP, Luolua Panda, and PB Man. I think we all agree that it could be improved, but if it happens in the next 18 months, it doesn't really make much sense. We'll move on though. FI Austria Mags for Carl Brown. Which was the best hidden gen you found from data analysis?
1: I found one or two, and it wasn't through just like pure data analysis. It was just sort of like speaking to my uni flatmate who is also a Football Index user. And We were sort of looking at, there must be some under-21s, some under-23s that are just not being picked up by the market, that have not really been picked up in price because of the way they've not played maybe senior football so much. And so we looked into one or two of the bigger nations within Europe and looking at, you know, who takes their set pieces, who takes their free kicks, who takes their penalties. Someone we found from that, is it Lacatelli from Susulo? And we saw that, he was playing for Italy under 19s under twenties, you know, taking penalties, was a clear set piece player, clearly comfortable on the ball. And then he started to get game time for Susulo and he started to get trusted on the ball in their system. And so we obviously saw, I mean, we saw him more than double in price, all because we went into looking at, you know, who takes set pieces for teams that don't play in P B matches, but obviously because of coming through the ranks, eventually he will. And luckily for us, he came into the first team action a lot sooner than we expected.
2: Would you say that's harder to recognise these days with you know, a lot of emphasis on youth players, some that haven't even played senior games and things like that? Would you say it's harder to recognise players from those stats that haven't already risen in price?
1: Yeah, it is very difficult to recognise youth players that are undervalued because there's so much emphasis on them. But I do think it's also worth considering with the youth players, are they going to be changing positions that affect them like, intrinsically? So are they a player at the moment that if they was to play in their current position, they may not score so well in a PB matrix manner. But if they was to move into a position, perhaps if they are a winger and they come inside to a number ten, they're going to you know pick up more of the ball. Are there signs that you can look at that, and perhaps not so much just the raw stats they're producing at the moment, but perhaps the stats that they could produce in the future with a few you know position changes and a few formation changes and managerial changes?
2: Yes, I think a player like Tenali. Although he's risen in price a lot. You look at his stats and his, you know, scores and his actions that he does. You know, a lot of people comparing him to Pirlo and everything. But there's a couple of good articles on him how underperforming he is, of all his stats, apart from changeovers from defense to attack and how quickly he implements them and everything. And basically suggested that in a team, you know, if he's rumored to events or anything, he wouldn't have a problem adapting to that. So I think that's what I like to look at their playing style, you can tell they've got it in them that it might not be statistically at an advantage sort of thing.
1: I think there could be an opportunity for traders there to really look at players that are almost certainly going to transfer to different teams. So you've obviously got teams that loan out players. So is it Kubo For is he under Real Madrid's books and he's on loan somewhere else? I think looking at when he comes back to Real Madrid or some of these like Tornalli, if he goes to Juventus, how is he going to be affected then? I think it's quite a good opportunity because you can value him on how you think he's going to perform at the club that he's almost certain going to go to. And I think that might be why someone like Jack Grealish has obviously risen so far in price. Maybe people are really expecting him to take off there, but perhaps haven't done this with some of the foreign players that they're not so familiar with, like Tornali, basically. Pretty much, yeah.
0: Got a question here from Football Index Tactics. He says, to Jordan Kenny, given your qualifications in development and coaching, what do you look for in players in youth teams breaking through to first teams to make judgment on whether they have a good chance of, quote-unquote, making it? Is that even an area of the market you trade in?
2: Well, first of all, love the work that Football Index Tactics does. He does some good stuff on Liverpool players predominantly, which, although I don't like him, he provides some good data. But me, personally... Given my qualifications, I mean, that doesn't really play a part in it. You know, anyone who watches a lot of football and has some basic knowledge can find some key areas of players' abilities. But I tend to judge a player based on, like I said previously, how involved he is in the game. But I do find players who are involved in the game, majority, they have the basic technical abilities. So someone who's comfortable on the ball, who is comfortable with the ball at their feet under pressure, You can see these things when you're watching the games rather than statistically. Players like Wilshire, when he was younger, he could have been incredible. Joe Cole, players like that, I find, who can develop their abilities elsewhere, such as passing and things like that. As long as they've got those fundamental technical abilities, they can be coached into better players.
1: Would you say that you watch a game slightly different to the average person watching a football match then? So, for example, obviously... When you hold a player that's playing in a game, you tend to focus on what they're doing and you tend to watch the game slightly differently. Like, Do you think you watch the game slightly differently regardless of whether you've got a player or not because of the way you've been coaching kids in the academies and stuff?
2: Even if I don't hold a player, to be fair, if I'm watching a game, I might see... Let's take Aston Villa, for example, because I watch them a lot. I'll see how they play and then I I might see something, say, John McGinn does and I might just keep my eyes on him to see how he moves off the ball, how he ends up becoming that third man looking for that pass and it kind of shows that more characteristics like they they have a better understanding of the game their vision a lot of the players that kind of go unnoticed like before all everyone was praising Busquets and everything people didn't really rate him as a player because they thought he didn't do much but he's the whole rhythm of the team and I find it's hard to record that just straight from looking at stats I tend to Try and give it a lot of context so if I'm seeing someone who's placing a lot of decent key passes and creating chances i'd rather look into the game and see what those chances were you might have an assist if the person you passed who didn't hit the post and you know it kind of skews the data a bit so I, I like to give it a lot of context
1: I agree and I think football index tactics I think he does this very well with like the threads that he produces I think so like for me personally i'm a Liverpool fan and I think the way that Trent. It's it.
0: everyone that comes from this. Ridiculous. ridiculous isn't you, P. B. Man, this <laughs> <Football laughs> tactics. Who else? Really,
1: <laughs> I mean, something between Liverpool fans and just looking at data. Headhunter. So, for me, I think the way that Trent performs so well is because of the way that Jordan Henderson operates. He always operates. So when Trent pushes forward, Henderson will always cover him at his right back spot. But when Robertson pushes forward, he doesn't get the same cover. And so with that not getting the same cover, is it because he's not getting that cover? Is he not taking as many risks as Trent? And that's maybe why he's not hitting as many assists, as well as, you know, the element of is one better at crossing than the other. But I think having that cover from Trent's side with Jordan Henderson, that might allow him to get more opportunities to make crosses, get involved in goals and further up the pitch.
0: One of the things I really loved reading recently was the Arsenal Chief Scout, Francis Oh, mate, your second name is so complicated. Kakegao? Kakigao. <laughs> I think, yeah. He sometimes judges players on their gait, so the way they walk. Which oh, is really-
2: some of the stuff is ridiculous. I've spoken to performance coaches and scouts who I've seen it in players I've coached. And like even in the Chelsea Academy, they'll come up to the parents and ask how tall they are and about their siblings and things like that. This one guy I used to work with who... He worked with Aaron Lennon, tried to fix the way he ran <laughs> and ended up you know, just accepting it because it's what worked for him. So there's still a lot of traditional weird shit that goes on when trying to scout players as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, they say that Ronaldo doesn't run properly, don't they? But mm. he's so powerful that people now don't even argue with it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Same with like Usain Bolt. I remember doing an analysis on him and his running style... In- the final and it it was awful like the angles he was coming up at and he was losing so much energy through basically shit form but that was because of obviously his size but if he had like perfect form he he probably could have knocked like 0.2 off and things like that but yeah it's interesting to see how these players still you know are so superior with their funny styles like that
1: yeah I think like just bringing it back to like football I just think like some players (laughs) having some players having so much of an ego you look at your Pogba's your Neymar's Some players have got so much of an ego that I think it helps that when they play well, they play exceptional because as soon as they get on top of their 1v1 battle, I just think they thrive. And I think like Ronaldo probably has the same. And I think Messi has this, you know, in himself. He probably doesn't show it as much as someone like Neymar does. But I think someone that has a real ego, a real confidence that they're better than anyone, I think really plays a big part in how good you can become because you, you know, having confidence can. I'm sure, just benefits you so much more than, you know, not backing yourself at all.
0: I think sometimes you can tell with, I remember literally Sunday league games, but also like when I played at a slightly higher level, we'd get into our warm-ups and you'd look over at people just doing rondos, you know, passing in circles. I'd look at them and sometimes just be like, they're fucking wank, these boys, lads, so uh, (laughs) we're going to win. But like, most of the time I was right, but if you're really good at like if it was your job to watch football, so that's just me as a bloke who played quite a lot of football and watches quite a lot. If it was your job and you did it 95, like Kagagawa I just mentioned, or Sevilla, Monkey, like if it's your job to watch football, you might be able to look at like one drill and probably accurately forecast which of these players is going to go the furthest in the next 12 months. But we'll move on from all that because we've got a good question here from Luar Luar. The guests just get better and better. <laughs> Do you think Football Index could learn anything from other gambling platforms? And he says, what are the deepest rabbit holes you guys have ever gone down whilst researching? I think the rabbit hole that we probably just went down is probably my deepest <laughs> one.
2: <laughs> I personally, I'm not too heavily invested in any other gambling platforms, so you can look at their success and I would say learning more from the advertising and trying to entice a bigger audience.
1: I do agree with the advertisement. I do think there is a real like niche, you know, that football index, you know, the football stock market. I do think really should just be pushed. I think that would be really, you know, it is a great USP. But also, I think in terms of gathering things from other products. The one thing that I did think was quite good from, I think some people consider a rival product with Stack. with that product, you can look at a player's previous score just by clicking on his name, and you can look at the previous scores for each match. And I think if you could do that on Football Index and look at the previous PB scores, I think it would be a nice, easy way for new users that want to just see what have they scored recently without going to all these extra third-party data providers, perhaps. I think it's something that's quite simple. Even if it's just perhaps their last five scores that they've produced at PB, they put them with just a little drop-down box you could tick, perhaps, to bring them up. I think that would be something to add. But other than that, I think to really just push that market inside, like you said, with their niche USP that they do have.
2: You think how successful all these gambling platforms are, and they're all offering you know the same thing Realistically, and you've got Football Index over here who's completely different. I think the more websites you learn from like all these different bookies, I think each one is a different view of doing the same thing. So I think the more you look at it, the more you can learn, basically, You're just taking more and more on board and then build it from there.
1: I agree. I mean, going into the second part of the question with deepest rabbit holes with researching, if I'm honest, I couldn't really tell you because in general, I like to stick to sort of the performance buzz matrix elements. So quite often I'm sort of on index gain, for example, and they obviously purely track the elements on PB. I don't tend to go too often into researching the data for stuff like Off the Ball because it's not relevant statistically in FI. It's sort of just something you can learn from watching.
0: Interesting thoughts there. We'll move on to our last question before we brought people to sleep. I mean, Usain Bolt and <laughs>
2: you prick.
0: player walking styles, gate <laughs> and so on and so forth. I don't know how interested we've kept people, but Kilp Jam FI, is it inevitable that there will be another share split? If so, when do you think it will be and what kind of notice period would FI give?
2: Well, joining before the previous share split, I mean, I'm watching it all unfold. What was the notice period? Was it four months or something? I don't even know, actually. It happened in March. Yeah. I saw people tweeting about it in December.
1: Yeah, I would have said three, four months because I think they put an announcement saying they will give further details, didn't they? And then you had to wait a little bit longer for it to actually happen.
2: I think the size of the platform now, I wouldn't say you'd have to give that much of notice. I know there's obviously more and more new traders, but I think the way it's all going, it's a lot more smoother. And you know, this order books thing could be just as big, but I doubt it's going to take three months to
1: implement it do you think there will be another share split and like how long down the line do you think there'll be one
2: I think players prices now are going to be a lot more stable on face value obviously there's a lot of trading going in between the spreads but I think they're increased slower so if there was another one which again I'm not sure you'd have to have a majority of players
1: I think there will probably be one yeah Yeah, in a while I think Personally, I think there are still some undervalued players out there with the current dividends.
2: Oh, there's still loads. Yeah, definitely.
1: I do agree. But I also think we're more likely to see a dividend increase before a share split is personally what I think. And I think obviously with a dividend increase, you're going to start getting player prices creeping up and up and up. And I think obviously the reason for a share split is to make obviously the top end look more appealing to new users, isn't it really, is why they did it before for someone like Neymar that was £25 per future. I think there probably will be one. To say when, I think, you know, who knows? It sort of depends on the growth of Football Index and what they sort of do with their dividend structure, I believe.
2: What would you say would influence a share split more? Having a market that's more stretched, so the top players are higher, but the middles and lower players still aren't growing as much, or if the majority of players were a higher price?
1: Yeah, I would have said probably the majority, purely because if someone is out there on his own, to say, for example... Sancho, as he is, goes out there and hits 15, 16 pounds and everyone else sort of stays as they are. There must be a reason of why Sancho has just done that. There's always a reason why people are priced as they are. I think whether that be undervalued or overvalued to your perception, I think there should always be a reason as to why they are priced that way. I
0: definitely agree. And there's a host of reasons that Sancho is valued at what he is. I think usually Football Index have based their previous share splits upon the kind of top five players, their kind of prices. I mean, we saw, I think before it was, you know, Pogba and Neymar, the main two throwaways that were kind of 20 quid plus. So maybe a collection of players like that would influence FI again.
1: Yeah, I mean, we also had Messi and Ronaldo pushing a bit high, didn't we? Because they were obviously slightly younger. They were slightly more appealing in that aspect of people, not wanting to buy people because of their age. I do agree with that the top five were a lot more or seemed quite expensive at the time to some people because we obviously had Neymar and Pogba interchanging for a little bit, didn't we? Because of the the media appeal they both had.
2: Was the top five out there on their own or was there a smaller gap between five and the rest?
1: There was a gap, but I don't think it was anything massive, was it? It wasn't anything that would really put you off between saying, yeah, I'm not sure, I can't remember exactly, but I don't think there was something that was absolutely massive. I don't think it was more than 10%.
2: Right, yeah. Okay.
0: Well, gents, I think that's all we've got time for. I mean we've gone an hour and twenty minutes and I think we've covered a load of range of topics, you know. Advertising in Manchester, Usain Bolt, Rabbit Holes, obviously the matching engine, order books, etc. and how they're going to influence our trading. But Jordan, as the debutant, I'll let you go first. Where can people find out more about you?
2: Find me out on Twitter at JordanKenny Six and always around on Slack to dish out some debates, if you wanna call it that. But yeah, just mainly on Twitter.
1: Carl? Yeah, also on Twitter at FIKBrown. Also, yeah, you can find me on YouTube at the same out there. Hopefully going to be bringing out some content over the summer, hopefully some performance buzz related stuff that people sort of know me for now, I guess, within the community. Yeah, you can look forward to that in the summer when I've got some time to put that together. And anyone that's got any questions, you know, feel free to message me. I'm more than happy to take some time out of my day to help some traders out
0: awesome check both those guys out and give them a follow and and all that good stuff if you guys did enjoy that please do subscribe to the podcast why not leave a review if you're listening on apple Podcasts? if you guys are commuting and you know you're still one of those essential workers then keep up doing your amazing work if you guys are not commuting do whatever you're doing i hope you have a great day remember that football index is a gambling platform only bet what you can afford to lose stay safe everyone thank you very much